it's all about putting the probabilities in your favor. And generally speaking, when something goes much, much higher in price, what we can expect from it is less going forward. If something has been out of favor, but you know it still meets the criteria of being a good investment overall, well then candidly, you should probably be buying a little bit more of it because now the future returns or should be expected to be higher. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's the Retire Smarter Podcast. Great to have you with us. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, the greater Pittsburgh area, and in Southwest Florida. You can find Kevin online at truewealthdesign.com. Listen to past episodes of the podcast, read the blog, lots of other great information for you there as well. Kevin, great to be with you this week. I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way right now. We've got the Egghead Alert. Egghead Alert. <laughs> We've been in kind of a series of episodes of, of Egghead topics recently, so I figured we'd get it off, started off with a good uh, right off the bat. I love you set the stage very well, Walter, and I appreciate you and, and, and your people putting the alert together for me. I can't wait to share that with my seven-year-old and <laughs> to see what her reaction is to daddy getting the egghead alert sounded before he speaks. So. <laughs> I, I would be more than happy to uh, send the MP3 to her and to your wife, and maybe they can queue it up on their phones and, and start using it around the house if you ever you know, get into egghead <laughs> moments. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I do with, with my daughter. And, you know, um, being that she's seven, I'm sure I will at some point in time. But And candidly, I don't, anything that we talk about on here, um, I, I, I better do a pretty good job of just making it accessible with a story or a good explanation and certainly want to connect the dots on why it's important. And, you know, Warren Buffett's kind of the great, um, just a great, uh, so many things. Um, I mean, he's humble, he's generous, he's, you know, one of the world's best investors ever. And the way that he explains things, is just fantastic. Um, one of the ones I shared with you not too long ago is, you know, the one that he quipped where he said, you know, the more you handle, money's like soap, the more you handle it, the less you have. Um, and he's got so many of those, but um, I'm not Warren Buffett, um, but uh, I strive to emulate him as best I can on the podcast and, and just explaining things in general. So some of the things we talk about, it's really important to understand, at least for your advisor, um, and then it's really important for your advisor to explain it in plain English, why it matters and maybe what it is. And, and I'll, I'll have candidly off some clients that, you know, would say like, well, that's, you know, that's what we pay you to worry about. We don't necessarily need to worry about that. Um, and a lot of times that's true. And it's just having the, maybe the expertise to know, you know, what's important uh, to explain something um, and just provide context and help set expectations so they can stay more disciplined and more prudent with their investing and planning process over time. So I never want to be kind of on the island of eggheads without any context or anything. Um, and maybe, Walter, maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're the warrant to my Buffett. <laughs> the warrant to your Buffett. I didn't see that coming today. But I, I like that. I like that. I think it's an important distinction to draw, though, that the podcast is different from what a first visit in a meeting and becoming a client would look like with you. You're not triggering the egghead alert too much in client meetings. It's kind of a show-specific, you know, fun thing that we talk about. We cover broader topics and, you know, theory and those kinds of things. When people come to meet with you, 
it's sort of just all of this is in the background of then what happens in that meeting, right? But the meeting is much easier for people to then follow and understand because you're able to put everything into the context of that person's situation. And I imagine that helps people really understand what's happening, what's going on. And when you can use specifics like that, make it even easier for you to communicate a lot of these concepts and, 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 and the why behind what you're doing. Yeah, it's like a, a good doctor with good bedside manner, right? I mean, you want somebody that um, wasn't just uh, kind of struggled through medical school, but, you know. State, stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> what do you have against Holiday Inn Expresses? <laughs> no, that's from the, from the, the commercials. Don't I, tell me that. That doesn't ring any bells? No. no what? No, no, I, I unfortunately my TV is is limited to like seven year old TV these days. But th- so. but that's like a years old reference. I've never heard anybody not know the I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night commercial series. Everybody will, has seen that. I'm sorry, Walter. Oh um, my god! It was a was whole. It? it was a whole for many years. I mean, they, it was a campaign that they did for years, and it was all uh, a series of you know some somebody helping on the side of the road uh, in an accident. He's like. Hand me a scalpel. I'll, I'll do the surgery right here on the side of the road. And, and they ask him, are, are you a doctor? And he goes, no, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express <laughs> last night. And it was a whole series of commercials of all those kinds of scenarios. So, yeah, it, was, uh, it's not, it sounds funny now that you explain it, but from what I've been told is when you have to explain the jokes, they tend not to I can't that believe that, that you are on an island here, my friend. You are definitely on an island. I don't know. I've never met somebody who doesn't get that. My wife likes to say that I'm unique. I'm not exactly sure how she means that, but that's what she says. You don't so. even have to have watched a lot of TV to get. I'll I'll send you some YouTube links after the show, and you can it'll it'll help drive the point home. I'm sure there's a few of them out there. All right. So in any you, event, continue. You you want a good doctor? <laughs> <laughs> you know, board certified um, can explain things in plain English. He's not going to tell you. Uh, she's not going to tell you every little thing that goes into your, you know, your diagnosis or what have you, but they're going to help you understand what you need to know um, so you can feel confident in the path forward. So that's, you know, I mean, that's what we should strive to do. And that's what I try to do. I mean, not always uh, <laughs> be Warren Buffett, but, um, but nonetheless, uh, you keep being the Warren to my Buffett, although I'm a little bit more skeptical about this after that Holiday Inn Express thing. So. <laughs> I, I really hope you get some emails about this because I, there's no way I'm on the island here. But. <laughs> All right. I believe you. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I do. Um, I'm, I'm hurt that you don't know the Holiday Inn Express joke. That's, that saddens me. All right. So what we are going to talk about today is not Holiday Inn Express, but uh, we are going to, in fact, talk about terminal wealth dispersion. It's basically diversification, but um, taking it a lot further than what I think what people commonly understand diversification to be. And and let me start with, hey, why does this matter? Again, and a basic principle, this is the um, Retire Smarter podcast, basic principle retirement planning is to make sure that your money lasts longer than you do. Um, that's a moving target. We don't know how long we're going to live, uh, but we need to meet our lifestyle goals. We need to have uh, not just preserve our, our money, but preserve our purchasing power over time. And you know, we will have inflation. Um, we need to have our money keep growing. And uh, that's kind of the basic goal there. And we've talked about it a few times over the last couple episodes, but we really want to put the probabilities in our favor that that flows from having a good you know financial plan uh, to having a good investment process just to make smart decisions based on on science and math. And you do that consistently over time. You're not going to win every time, just like um, some of the blackjack examples that we used a, a couple episodes ago. 
Um, just because you play the probabilities doesn't mean you're going to win the hand. But if you do that, you know, over and over and over enough, like through your investing lifetime, you know, the math of statistics will tend to play out in your favor and the probabilities uh, will play out or should be expected to play out more so in your favor. And one of those things that, that I want to talk about is, uh, well, let me back up. What we talked about last time was standard deviation or kind of the wiggle factor. And just really the key takeaway here that I was hoping that people got was just understanding, you know, what to expect, you know, what's normal in terms of the market's movements up and down. And that's a good starting point. And a lot of times what people will say is, well, we want to minimize that standard deviation and, uh, and that makes it really kind of efficient. You know, we're, we're well diversified. And that's not the whole story. And, and that's where this idea of terminal wealth dispersion comes in. Uh, so... Just suppose that you own, you know, we'll start really simply here. You own one stock. One, if you do that, you should not do that because uh, 100% of your risk is in that one stock. And then, you know, years ago before mutual funds came out, there was some different uh, studies in like uh, the Journal of Finance and some others about, well, how many stocks do you really need to own to go ahead and reduce the standard deviation? And again, that's just one way to measure uh, risk to a certain degree, I would say it's a more apt a, a measure of how consistent you know things are or are not, or volatility is another name. But in the last episode, we talked about the S and P 500 and how the standard deviation is round numbers over time, about 20% per year. And you know, if you own one stock, um, an individual stock is probably about two to three times as volatile or two to three times the standard deviation of the S&P 500, if we're talking about the stocks that comprise it. So that just gives you an idea of how much riskier or how much more volatile one stock is compared to the, the whole market as defined by the S&P 500. But then some of the old studies showed, well, hey, if we just own about 15 or so individual stocks, then guess what? Our standard deviation comes down pretty not, gosh darn close to 20%, just like the market in aggregate. But that's only 15 stocks out of 500 for the S&P 500 example. And there's, again, I'm using the S&P 500 here only as an example. You know, there's small company stocks, uh, there's growth stocks, value stocks, different industries, different sectors, markets outside of the U.S. There's all kinds of other um, asset classes to uh, invest in and to diversify with. But I'm just using the S&P 500 only as an example. So the key when you think about kind of standard deviation versus terminal wealth dispersion is, you know, just because you're lowering your, your volatility or that wiggle factor, so, you know, 15 stocks kind of approximates the same as owning the whole 500, you really, what that means is you're kind of lowering that volatility risk, but it's not the same thing as maximizing returns. And a couple episodes ago, we talked about, actually, I think it was a while back, uh, we talked about the difference in returns and, and I'll kind of, let me bring you back into the foray here, uh, Warren, and uh, just give you a little bit of an example. So I'm going to give you, let me, let me pause. Walter, AKA Warren, are you with me? I, for a second, I was like, did he call me Warren? And then I remembered I was the Warren to your Buffett. So I, <laughs> yes, I, thank I, you. I, I, I circled back around. <laughs> All right. Let me, I'll give you a choice here. Um, you could have uh, one of two return sequences you get. So in year one, so for option A, year one, you can have a 15% return, and then year two, you have a 5% return. Or option B, you can have a 10% return in each year. Which one would you prefer? I'll take the 10 each year. Okay, how come? I just like the steadiness of it, the predictability. 
Okay, that's great. And if you do the math there, 15 plus 5 is 20. 10 plus 10 is 20. You divide them both by 2, and you see the average return for both A and B is 10%. However, you know we don't, well, I like to say we don't eat average returns. We eat compounded returns. And the compounded return uh, uh, for the one that goes 15 and 5 is, in fact, less than the one that goes 10 and 10. So round of applause for nice. Walter, A.K. Warren. I so it was going to be a small trick. Qu- I, like Warren, I'm just keeping it simple, you know? You got it. Um, so you're, you're doing really well. But anytime you have um, volatility, the compounded return is going to be less than the average return. And and again, we, we only eat compounded returns. We only live on compounded returns, and that matters. Um, so, you know, if you have, uh, you know, the standard deviation that you have, you don't have any standard deviation if you get 10, 10, 10, 10 every year, but we all know that's not going to happen in practice. So you're going to have some volatility. Uh, but if you can, uh, the theory goes, if you can minimize that, well, that's great because then you can have higher returns. But that again, doesn't tell the whole story. What you actually find when you look at market returns over time is like for the S&P 500, really there's going to be probably a handful or two uh, of stocks that are going to provide really, really high returns. And there's going to be, on average, more are going to lose money than are going to make money. And when you put that together, if you're only picking 15 stocks because you say, hey, my standard deviation or my volatility um, is minimized. It's the same as kind of owning all 500. I need, don't need to add any more. Um, that's true, but it doesn't tell the whole story because you're introducing um, something that we would call like security selection risk. Are you picking the right stocks? You know, if you just miss one of the really high performers, you're probably going to underperform the broad market of the 500 stocks. And studies will show that, you know, hey, if you maybe own 25 stocks, you can reduce that risk by about 80%. If you own 100%, or excuse me, 100 stocks, you can reduce that risk by about 90%, something technically we call alpha risk or that security selection risk. Um, but if you own all 500, as in this example, obviously, you know, you don't have any of that risk. So there's comes to be a certain point where not do you only care about kind of minimizing that standard deviation, but also kind of focusing on this diversification aspect and, and owning more stocks. And the example that I'll give, there's a guy by the name of Bill Bernstein. There's a lot of, um, I think, famous Bill Bernsteins that are out there. But, but this guy actually was one of the first ones that I read that helped me um, really find my passion for this line of work. And uh, he has an interesting story. Um, he was uh, a medical doctor. He was a neurologist. And uh, I think he found, he kind of tells his own story in a a preface to one of his books, but he talks about how he just always felt like he was getting taken advantage of at some of the Wall Street firms where he invested his money with. And so what he did, he, he, I mean, just a remarkable person, but um, I guess in his spare time when he wasn't a neurologist, um, he just did a lot of uh, studying on investing and what the signs of investing showed. And uh, he ended up writing many, many books uh, about investing and about the science of investing and just kind of chronicled his journey over time. And um, I highly recommend if anybody is, you know, sound the egghead alert, but if anybody's interested in becoming a little bit of an egghead, 
there's something called the four pillars of investing. It's a book that he wrote that is a little bit more kind of the engineering version. It is a little more egg heady. And then he came out with another one later called the investors manifesto, which is um, shorter, much more accessible. Um, but it touches on a lot of the same key points. So both of those are really good. If anybody wants to pick up a book, you know, kind of on the history and science of investing and kind of just learn through Bill and his story. But he's also written many articles over the years, and I just pulled, um, he actually wrote an article on this topic, terminal wealth dispersion. There's not a ton of it that's out there. Candidly, I don't think I learned about terminal wealth dispersion when I was studying for the CFP or went through anything like this. This was something that Bill Bernstein, in fact, taught me, um, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago, just by reading his work. Um, so what he has here is he basically looked at the S&P 500 you know, at the end of 1999, and he formed um, kind of 98 randomly generated uh, 15 stock portfolios. Uh, and he looked back over the prior 10 years. And he just, you know, again, it was all it was all random and kind of mathematically used like a random uh, generator here. And he was just comparing the the returns for those, you know, 98 portfolios, 15 stock portfolios to the return of the market over the prior 10 years. And again, this is a mathematically valid process. You know, it's not like he was kind of picking the worst ones. Everything was randomly generated and he did enough portfolios for to make the comparisons meaningful. Um, and over that prior 10 year period, and again, this was the 1990s, so returns were really high during this time, but the S&P 500 returned about 19% over the prior 10 years. Um, Walter, you wanna guess what percentage of those 15 stock portfolios failed to beat the market? Ooh, I'll say a uh, very high percentage, 80. <laughs> uh, what, is, what does that mean exactly, Walter? <laughs> not, Come not on, very, Warren. You're not, not being the Warren to my Buffett with that one. Not, not very good. Not very good. Um, so three quarters or 75% failed to beat the market. Um, so I would agree with your character, very broad characterization that a very high percentage. And uh, when you looked at the returns, uh, basically some of the, the scatter and this is that dispersion in the terminal wealth dispersion. When you looked at the returns over time, there were several portfolios that underperformed the market, the S&P 500, by 5 to 10% per year. That's per year. You do that compounded over a 10-year period, you're talking about <laughs> huge, huge dollar differences. And the reason, again, why this happens is, and, and he did a nice dissection, but basically each and every year, uh, a disproportionate fraction of the big return from the market came from a very few super stocks. One of the examples that he used over that time period was Dell Computer, which increased in value over 550 times. And if you're picking you know, just a small number of stocks, whether it's 15 or 20, you're introducing that security selection risk or alpha risk as, as they call it. And you know, if you just don't get one of those super stocks, your returns are more than likely going to go ahead and lag the market. So when you think about retirement planning, again, if we're talking about just putting the odds in our favor, if you're just picking some individual stocks, um, you could get lucky. You know, maybe there's gonna be, you know, kind of five super stocks that year, you're picking 15, and you just get incredibly lucky, pick all five, and your returns are gonna be super high. You're gonna be way higher than the market. However, just like 75% of them failed to go ahead and beat the market in his randomized example, you're actually introducing much more risk and you should expect on average that your results are gonna be poorer than the market. So most people, if they were faced with this clear bet, you know, hey, do we wanna have a concentrated portfolio and try to become fabulously wealthy or do we wanna reduce our risk and diversify a lot? 
and just try to have a more consistent return stream and try to maximize our returns to boot, which one would you pick? And most rational people, and I hope all of our clients that we serve, would go ahead and pick the latter. You know, if you're going into retirement, you've accumulated all your money that is going to last the rest of your lifetime, and you need to act as if it's going to last the rest of your lifetime. You don't want to go ahead and start betting on, you know, trying to win that lottery ticket. You know, if you were doing that early on in your career, at least you have the rest of the career to go ahead and make up for it if the probabilities, you know, don't play out in, the fa- in your favor if you do have a concentrated portfolio. Couple episodes ago in January, we talked about uh, you know when to sell an underperforming investment, and and I said usually that question isn't so much an investment problem, but like an asset class problem. And sometimes things are gonna you know not do as well as other things. It's again kind of the basic idea and premise of diversification to a certain degree, um, but it should be expected, and, and that's why we talked about that concept of standard devi- deviation and, and really what's normal. We also talked about before about price. You know, just because something goes up in price, it, it gets more expensive in investing. And in investing, it's kind of this conundrum where people think that's a good thing. But you know, we all know that um, if you pay some more for something, uh, then more likely than not, you're not getting as good of a value. Uh, so it's kind of this investing conundrum. But all these things really culminate in in putting the probabilities more into your favor making sure that your money's gonna last your lifetime. And you really need to have those proper expectations on you know, what to expect in terms of returns in order to stay disciplined throughout the whole process. You know, you're probably not gonna worry about terminal wealth dispersion. You're probably not gonna go out and read Bill Bernstein's books. But these things are really important to understand. You know, somebody who's kind of you know, mending the store um, needs to understand them. For our clients, you know, that's me and the other advisors at True Wealth. If you're going this alone or if you have another advisor, they should absolutely make sure that they understand this because if you're not doing these things, you are introducing more risk. You are not putting the probabilities into your favor. And that's just not a good thing to do when you're going into retirement planning phase and having to have your money last the rest of your lifetime. It sounds like the leaf blowers are, uh, are, are encouraging you to wrap up. Yes, they are. Sorry about that. But yes, you're absolutely right. No worries. Uh, I I really enjoyed these last two episodes, actually. And seeing how standard deviation, or as you much very Warren Buffett-like, like like to refer to it as the wiggle factor, um, which I commend you on that, how you use it in different ways. So you look at the S&P as a whole, and there's a standard deviation. You apply it in, in a very broad sense, but also not afraid to apply it in a very narrow sense and and on an individual basis, whether it's an individual's portfolio or looking at stocks, kind of using standard deviation or the wiggle factor as a tool through which you can analyze a lot of different things as an advisor. That's pretty neat to kind of see that in action in some of the examples that you use. Yeah. And, you know, as we started a couple, you know, episodes ago, we talked about kind of small stocks and value stocks and how they had been out of favor. Um, And I I didn't mention this in the episode, but, you know, over the last several quarters, you know, these stocks have really been on a tear. So, you know, if you were looking at your statement, say mid 2020 and saying, man, why do I own these kind of stocks? They've been really out of favor for quite some time. Let me just go ahead and sell those. um, And I'll buy these other ones that have been doing really well. Well, fast forward, you know, um, a few months, and that would have been the exact wrong thing to do. Now, you know, who knows, again, the future is uncertain, but it's all about putting the probabilities in your favor. And generally speaking, when something goes much, much higher in price, 
what we can expect from it is less going forward if something has been out of favor but you know it still meets the criteria of being a good investment overall well then candidly you should probably be buying a little bit more of it because now the future returns or should be expected to be higher um, a lot of investing is kind of counterintuitive to a certain degree um, but hopefully some of these things that we talk about through here makes it less so and uh, can make it more warren buffett like if you have any questions about what we've talked about on the last couple of episodes, feel free to reach out to Kevin Krosky and the team at True Wealth Design. You can do that by calling 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. Or even better, go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team. That's truewealthdesign.com. And that contact information is in the description section of today's show, so it's easy for you to find. Kevin, before we wrap up, I did download the audio from one of those Holiday Inn Express commercials. Figured we could play that real quick, and at least maybe you would get the gist. Now, I did this on the fly and didn't actually listen to it, but I'm assuming it's a, a normal 30-second commercial example that they had as part of their campaign. So bear with me. Let's see if this works. Sponge. How's everything look? Looks good. It's real good. What's his BP? 120 over 80. Okay, folks. Close him up. You're not Dr. Stewart. No. But I did stay at Holiday Inn Express last night. So they had a whole series of things like that that were in their commercials. You, you didn't get the visuals to go along with. I don't. It, I don't remember it. No recollection. Zero. <laughs> oh man, I've been quoting it for years. I think it was probably the late two thousand, like two thousand eight, nine, ten time frame. Probably when they were coming out, somewhere in that time frame. Maybe. I was probably just reading too many Bill Bernstein books. You were, I was going to say you were just reading too many Egghead books. Yeah, that's that's it. It lined up exactly that way, and that's why you never got got into that commercial campaign. But <laughs> in any event, um, I'm I'm hoping some other folks remember that campaign and and, and got the joke there. But that was fun. Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, really good last two episodes. Enjoyed these. Glad you're feeling better. And uh, can't wait to see what you have prepared for us next time. We're, we'll, we'll have to intentionally go on the opposite side of being an egghead. and The un-egghead un route? Un-egghead. Yeah, we'll, I'll work on it. But uh, let's, uh, I don't want to say dumb it down. That's not a good descriptor. But um, but more more but, terms like wiggle factor. Well, and maybe let's, we'll, we'll try to work on maybe a couple of stories. So we'll see, uh, we'll, maybe I'll pull some out from some client meetings over the next few weeks and see if it's something worthwhile to share. Hey, that sounds like a plan. Thank you so much. Uh, that's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. Don't ever hesitate to reach out if you've got a question. Hey, in fact, if you've got a topic suggestion, please let us know. Go to True Wealth Walter, Design. And are, you, are you saying that? Use the because, contact form. <laughs> are you saying that because of these last two? Like, hey, help Kevin out. Don't let him talk about this stuff anymore. I'm just that's saying, okay. in, in general, if somebody's got a topic they want to hear about, you know? I'm they, more than happy to, to have those uh, that feedback. So, absolutely. Maybe they heard another term that sounds like standard deviation <laughs> or terminal wealth dispersion, and they want a good explanation on that eggheady term. You never know. So I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, go to truewealthdesign.com. Feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you, and we can uh, maybe bring that up as a future topic on the show if you've got something good for us. It's always fun. For Kevin, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter.
Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.